If you have your Bible today, I encourage you to look with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Then each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would speak to us from your word. And Father, I pray that today our hearts would be responsive to your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that today, that Father, we would surrender ourselves more fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the church. Father, your body, your bride, your people, and Father, that we get to be a part of your church. Father, I pray that you would help us to fall deeply in love with the church and with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, when we love you, we should love your body, your bride, and the family of God. Father, protect us. Protect us from deceit. Protect us from deception. Protect us for, um, from impurity. Protect us, Father, from worldliness and worldly thinking. And Father, help us to be obedient children and a family of God, united in spirit, walking in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about the ministry of the resurrected Christ, but, uh, but today's message is about how that resurrected Jesus has gifted leaders 
for God's gifted people. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never been in anybody's gifted program in my life. I wasn't gifted as an athlete, and I certainly wasn't gifted as a student. I might have had more giftedness if I'd uh, uh, paid closer attention, but I, I did. I worked a little harder. <clears throat> but God, by his sovereignty and his choice, he called me to be a pastor. And not only did he call me, he's gifted me. And I'm so grateful and thankful. Because uh, I didn't really want to be a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home, by the way. My dad was a pastor of our, our church, but he was also a school teacher. And so when I was in eighth grade, he was my pastor. But when I went to school, he was my teacher. Then he became the principal. I couldn't get away from the man. Everything I ever did, he knew about it immediately. I always assumed that he knew. Kind of funny. I didn't really want to be a pastor because of several reasons, but I didn't want to just do it because that's what my dad did. And I didn't want to do it because um, uh, I thought I, there was enough rebellion in me that I just didn't want to do that. But I remember the sense the overwhelming sense that God had called me. And I want you to know I've had the privilege to be pastor here for 33 years. It's amazing, 33 years. <clears throat> and I love our church. I, I'm proud of our church. I, I've poured out the best of my life here in this church and had the privilege to see my family reared while I was here and, and, and my children grew up here and, and uh, I, I, I love our church. And you have poured into me, and you've loved me, and you've blessed me. And we've been through hard times together, dry times together, challenging times together, exhilarating times together, and uh, we've just been walking with each other. And uh, as we're getting ready to ordain some of these guys, I, I, I had to dig out an ordination certificate the other day, and I couldn't even find it. And so I was trying to see if I could find it. It's sort of yellowed and in a frame, and it was in a box somewhere. And so uh, we uncovered it. And uh, November 5th, uh, 1978, uh, I was ordained to the gospel ministry. Uh, for those who can't do the math, it's 41 years ago this year. That's a long time, isn't it? No wonder when I look in the mirror, I see this older guy in the mirror now and not this young guy. Tonight, this afternoon, don't miss the ordination service. My father's going to be here. What a joy. I warned the guys, I said, when we have the examination council this afternoon, get ready, Harl Ray is there. <clears throat> He's been pastoring for over 65 years. Has the scripture, so much of the scripture committed to memory and uh, is in truly a man of God. It's a historic day for our church and I, I am so excited about it. When you think about church leaders, the Bible talks about and describes church leaders using three different terms. One of the terms is the one that we're very familiar with. It's the term for, that we translate translated in the Bible, pastor or shepherd. It's the word poimen is the Greek word. And it means to guide, provide, feed, protect, lead, to shepherd, do the things that 
shepherds do. And that is a, a frequent term used in the Bible for a church leader as pastor. But one of the, the terms used more frequently than pastor is another New Testament word for the same office, and that is the word elder, translated elder. It's the word presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian from. It is, means those that are spiritually mature, they're elder. They provide guidance and counsel and wisdom. This is elders. These are spiritually mature leaders in the life of the church. The other word that is used and we'll find in the text is the word, uh, and multiple times in the Bible, and it's the word, uh, it's the Greek word episkopos. Skopos means to see, like telescope, microscope, skopos. And epi means over. And so it's translated in the Bible, overseer. Uh, the King James translates it bishop. And this is the same, it is someone who watches over and looks over and manages and cares for the life of the church and the fellowship of the church. And so these are oft, often used very interchangeably for the same persons. As a matter of fact, in Acts gospel, Acts in chapter number 20, in verse 17, Paul is in, uh, speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church together, presbyteros. And then notice what he says in verse number 20. He says, uh, he's, he, he's talking about how he did not shrink away from his calling and what God had called him to do and his responsibility with him. Verse 28, then he says to these elders, you be on guard yourselves for all the flock, that's a shepherd language, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, bishops, and then to shepherd poimen, the church of God he purchased with his own blood. And so these are the responsibilities described in these terms. You shepherd, you care, you guide, you protect, you lead. You're spiritually mature, and you can manage and watch over and care for the church of God. This is the responsibility of shepherds defined in the description of them. But in Ephesians chapter 4 today, I want us to look that God has equipped and given gifted men to serve and, and gifted leaders within the life of the church. And the church is gifted also. Church, first thing I want you to understand is church leaders are called by God. Church leaders are called by God, not my men, not by a school, not by a seminary. They're called by Almighty God. In chapter number 4, verse 1, he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, implore you to walk worthy of the calling that you have been called. All of the church has been called to Christ. We're called to know Christ, follow Jesus, and live like Jesus. But God has given church leaders to help provide unity in the church and purity in the church and growth in the church and maturity in the church. And he's called out 
these gifted leaders to lead in the church. The unity of the church is so important and so essential. It rests in our theology of who we believe God to be. But there's one God, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one Father of all, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God. And if there's one God, then we are one people united under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus ascended. First of all, he descended, Paul tells us, and he descended from heaven to the earth. And he came and he lived among men. And he lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law of God. He died on Calvary's cross. And he defeated Satan and all the host of evil. And he rose again victoriously and ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's giving gifts to men. It's the picture of a man who went into battle, a leader, and had to go into battle when the victory had been won, he leads all his defeated enemies behind him in bondage. And he comes into the city, and the wagons are filled with the spoils of war. And he distributes the spoils among the people because he's won victory. And so in that great psalm, it reminds us in that, that Paul quotes here, but also, he's saying that's what Jesus did. He defeated Satan. He's ascended to the Father, and he's poured out his Holy Spirit and given gifts to all of us. Each one of us has been gifted by Almighty God, but he's especially gifted and called certain ones to lead in his church. Now, I say this to you. Listen closely. Ordination is not the, the conferring on a man of God power, position, or honor. That's not what ordination is. That's a Catholic idea. But not as Baptists. We do not believe that. We believe that we're affirming the call of God we witness in their life and that they're gifted from God, and they're called by God, and they're serving God. That is what we do. And when we pray and lay our hands on them, we're saying, we know that God has called you. But also that man of God must speak up and say, I know that God has called me, and he's at work in me. By the way, I often say to guys who, want to be a pastor, a preacher, if you can do something else, do it. But if you can't do something else, then be a pastor. I'm not saying you can't be a tent maker. You can be. My father was all of his ministry. You can work two or three jobs, but if the call of God's on your life, you need to open your life. Surrender to him and obey him. Use the gifts that God's given you. I'm telling you what, God's the one that calls, amen? In the Old Testament, you remember little boy Samuel? Yeah, he remember he, he is a mother and father, couldn't have a child. And, and so uh, uh, Elkanah and Hannah prayed and, and God blessed them, gave him a baby. And they gave that baby back to the Lord in dedication. And they brought the, the young boy to Samuel, uh, Samuel 
and they brought the young boy Samuel to Eli, and Eli was the man of God, and he lived in the house of God and was growing up under Eli. Eli had two other sons. They were Hophni and Phinehas. Now, they had been ordained. They had been anointed. They had been all the priestly garb and garments were on them, but their hearts were far from God. And Samuel was just laying in the temple floor, sleeping one night, while the candle of the Lord still burned, the lamp of the Lord. And as he thought, drifted off to sleep, he heard a voice, Samuel. Well, he thought it was Eli, and he got up and ran. He says, yes, sir, yes, sir, what do you need? He said, why are you disturbing me, man? He said, go. He said you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. Well, this happens a second time. He says, go lay back down. It happens a third time. He said, would you please go lay back down? And he's, uh, but this time he realizes it. He goes, listen, son, if you hear that voice again, you just simply say, here I am. Speak, your servant's listening. He lay down and hear your word, Samuel. Samuel. He said, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. And he said, I've called you. Judgment's going to come on the house of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. Judgment's going to come on the nation. But you will be my man and my spokesman. God calls. He calls people you think he could never call. He called Moses, didn't he? You know, Moses, he, uh, after he took that little trip in, a, in a, a little basket and an ark as a baby and was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, but God had a plan for Moses. It seemed like that Moses was no longer qualified to be a leader in any way. He was a murderer. As a young man, he got mad at the way some Hebrews were being treated, and he was brawling and fighting and angry. Killed a man with his own hand. A felon, a fugitive on the run. Living in the back part of Midian in the middle of nowhere, watching over a Midian pagan priest sheep, married to a pagan woman. But on the mountain of God, Mount Hor, out of a burning bush, God said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Here I am. He said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. I've called you to be my man. Other than Jesus Christ, the greatest man in all of Scripture is Moses, the man of God. Because God called him. God gifted him, and God used him. Jeremiah said, before I was formed in the womb, you knew me. Before I was born, you consecrated me and have appointed me. Wow. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. In that scene of 
smoke and presence of God. Isaiah felt the sense of the call of God. Isaiah says, I saw seraphim them that had six wings. With two they covered their feet. With two they covered their face. And with two they did fly. And he said, they sang one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the seraphim took at the direction of Almighty God. They took burning embers off of the altar and they flew and carried them and pushed them on Isaiah's lips and said, your sin is atoned for. You're made clean. Wow. And then I heard a voice. Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? And I said, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Send me. It's the call of God on the men of God. Amen. We don't have time to go into all of them. David was in the backwater of, of Palestine watching over sheep. God was calling a new king to rule over Israel. And he said it would be born, he would come from Jesse's house in Bethlehem. And, and whenever the man of God, Samuel, goes, he sees all these great sons and leaders and warriors and accomplished men. God said, that's not the man, that's not the man. He said, don't you have any other boys? He said, well, I got one little ruddy guy out watching over a sheep. He brings him in. It's the man of God with a heart for God. It would become the king of Israel. Amen? Who would have think that John the Baptist would be called, but he was. John the Baptist, called by God. Wasn't, he didn't need a group or a council to call him. God called him. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew. God calls them. The Lord calls them. Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church. Saul of Tarsus becomes called by God. This is while God works in powerful ways. And Drew shared humbly about his own life and how God would call him. But there was a confidence in his voice that it was God who was calling him. I spoke to my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Do you have your Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Listen closely. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. How Paul puts it. <clears throat> But God has chosen foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's chosen weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, that he may nullify the things that are, all, that are so that no man may boast before the Lord. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification 
and redemption. So that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. These leaders, that God is the one who's calling them. God's the one that leads them. God's the one who gifts them. Now look with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. And, uh, and we have to go quickly through this because I, I, I just got carried away there a while ago. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, notice that he descended, but he ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, the word pastors and teachers of, uh, is here, and many scholars believe that those two words go together because a pastor, an elder, needs to be apt to teach. And so there's this teaching role and pastoring role. And the one who calls us is the one who gifts us. See, understand this. The church is Jesus Christ's church. It's not my church. It's not even the congregation's church. It's his church. And Jesus calls and Jesus gives special gifts to lead and care and teach in his church. The church leaders are gifted not only from Christ, but for the church. Verse number 11, verse, uh, look with me, chapter 4, verse 11. And he's given these pastor teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. That's us. Did you all know you're saints? The Bible calls you saints. Nobody's saying amen in here today. The Bible calls you all saints. Tell your neighbor you're a saint. Now, how weird is that? You know why? Because we bought into this old kind of Catholic idea that saints are like super Christians. But that's not what it's saying here. It's saying that we're all holy ones made holy by Jesus Christ and his redemption and his shed blood. We've been born again and made new, all new. And he has declared us right with God. Wow. So we're, but saints need equipping. Not just New Orleans saints. Baptist saints. And he gifts and equips men, servants of the Lord, to help with equipping. And, and equipping means to train, to teach. He's given us tools to help prepare us and the church. It's, we're the holy ones. We're called by God. We're gifted by God. But the pastor's role is to help encourage and teach and equip and train and coach the church to carry out what God has called us to do. This is the role. By the way, the giving of this pastor teachers for the local church, not a denomination, but for the local fellowship so that we might carry out what God has called us to. Now, listen, I'm, I'm enjoying watching some of the World Series, and, and man, who would have believed the way things worked out? And these are talented young men, but there's other older men that are talented too and gifted, and some of them played baseball, some of them didn't. 
Some of them weren't superstars, but they're coaching superstars. And they're encouraging and equipping and training so that they might be, so they might be faithful and effective in carrying out the mission that Christ has called us to. Church leaders should also demonstrate godly character in their life. Godly character. If you look with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And beginning with verse number 3. This saying is trustworthy, uh, verse number one. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, episcopos, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's the main thing here, above reproach. And above reproach meaning the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Amen. As we look at this description of of, uh, these church leaders, He said the very first thing is that if you aspire to that, that's a good thing because you want to serve the church. And that's exactly what a church leader ought to do. He serves in the church. He aspires to serve and to help. It's a stewardship that's given to him by God. The first thing, how does he live above reproach? It means the word is translated blameless. When you look at his life and how he lives his life, you say, that man is living a life that is not dishonoring to God, his church, or the gospel. He lives a life that's a life of integrity, and it's a life of loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus. And that should be demonstrated first in his home life. In his home life. It says he is the husband of one wife, meaning he's faithful, loyal, true to his wife. He is not, does not have wandering eyes. He is not a flanderer. He's not flirtatious. He is morally pure. He's committed to his one wife. And he isn't. He is living honorably 
lovingly, intimately, pastorally with his wife. This text is not so much about singleness. It's not so much about whether you can remarry. This isn't about that so much as it is his life. His life, how he lives, how he walks, how he relates to his wife. Is he faithful to her? Does he love his wife? Is he loyal to his wife? Is he affectionate with his wife? Does he have wandering eyes? No. Is he a flanderer? No. Is he a flirt? No. Is his marriage solid? Yes. If his marriage is solid, then he may serve, but not if he is impure. Moral impurity hurts the church. And an unstable pastor with an unstable home puts his church at risk. And we see it again and again in our society. In church, you work as a pastor with women. You minister to women. You counsel women. You work with women. And there are needs among women and you've got to be true to your wife so that you're not carried away. Secondly, with his home, he needs to be with his children and his family. He manages his own house. Verse number four, he manages his own family. He leads his family. He pastors his family. He keeps his children under control with dignity. He's not a brute at home. He's not absentee at home. He's not an abdicating husband. He's involved in his family as a father, and he takes care of his children and his home life. And the Bible makes it clear, if you can't take care of your family, you have no business trying to manage the church of God because the church is a family. And the same characteristics you need to be a good husband and a good father are characteristics you need to lead in a church well. Then in his personal life, notice in verse number two and three, it says <clears throat> that he is to be temperate, under control, sober-minded, prudent, well-ordered demeanor, orderly, respectful. He's focused and it has a responsible life. The truth of the matter is, if your life's out of control, you're not able to order and manage your own life well, how are you going to manage and lead the church? If his life's out of control, he doesn't need to be a pastor. If he can't pay his bills, he doesn't need to be a pastor. When I came to this church, I had some of the men of the church say, Pastor, you won't be able to get a loan in this town, I'm afraid because we had a pastor here who ran up debts all over town and didn't pay his debts. His reputation was terrible, and by default, since you're the pastor of our church, they're probably going to think you're the same way. Paul said, I buffet my body and make it my slave. He said, I don't want to be set on the shelf. I live under... A also, he's not to be a drinker. He's not to be a drunkard. He's not to be addicted to wine or drugs or pornography or any of that. 
I, the man of God doesn't need to be filled with wine. He needs to be filled with the Spirit of God so he can lead the people of God. But also his values. Verse number three, his values. Free from the love of money. I'm telling you, we don't need any more preachers that are all about themselves and their money and their conceit and their pride and their narcissism and their own agenda and their own recognition. We need some men of God that aren't in it for their own props, but they're in it for Almighty God and for His church. That's what they value. But also the relationships. The relationships in the community, in the church. They're not pugnacious. That's an interesting word. They're not a fighter. They're not an arguer. But instead, they're gentle and peaceable with a good reputation. And even the community says, he's a good man. He's a good man. So this man of God needs to be above reproach, but of good reputation filled with the presence of God. Not perfect, but he's God's man. Amen? Now, what are his competencies real quickly? Number one, able to teach. This qualification is found in Titus and also in Timothy. He needs to be able to teach the Word of God. Now, folks, if you're going to teach the Word, you've got to know the Word. So he needs to be a student of the Word. He knows the Word. He communicates the Word. He instruct, encourage in godly living. He's got to be a teacher in the church. Secondly, he has to have confidence to lead. That means when you take care and you manage your family, how are you going to manage or take care of the church? The word manage means to lead. You're leading the church well. You're loving the church well. And you're guiding the church well. He has a confidence in Christ to be a leader. Finally, he has to care for the people. Listen, a preacher is not worth his salt if the people don't believe that that pastor loves us and that pastor cares about us. That he loves God's people. He's not using the church as a stepping stone to go somewhere else. But he loves God's people. Why? Because he's helping God's people, stay with me, to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his church on mission, taking the gospel to a broken world. That's God's gifted leaders for God's gifted people. We don't hire a preacher to do all the work. We ask pastors to come Work with us so that we can all carry out the work together. This is what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that we might understand this great call that you've given to us and that this calling comes from you. I thank you, and we're humbled by the gifts that you give to all of us, everyone in this room. We thank you for the gift leaders that you give to us. But Father, we know it's all about you. For your glory 
and it's all about your church carrying out the mission that you've called us to. So, Father, Father, today, we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.